Cold Weather Bats, what's up? This is Brandon Justice coming to you to talk about Great Lakes Bat Company. As you guys know, the show is sponsored by Great Lakes Bat Company, and you can buy a hat on their website at greatlakesbatco.com. Upon that, you can do tons of other things too. You got a team, organization, whatever it is, they got you covered. Whether it's uniforms, custom bats, custom fitting for bats, custom fungos, custom wood bats, trainers, you name it, they got it. GreatLakesBatCo.com. into another episode of Cold Weather Bats. I am one of your two hosts, Brandon Justice. Joined by me, as always, is Brian Sikowski. Uh, it is March 7th, uh, this recording, morning time. So uh, if you hear any dialogue today about some games that are after that, just know we have not been able to witness them yet. Uh, the spring is here and games are upon us. We are uh, in that awkward stage where a lot of teams have played several games and some teams haven't played any. For example, my Wyandotte Bears, we have not been able to practice on a field yet. Um, so we all are in different worlds right now. <laughs> but uh, in less than a week here, everyone should have some games on their record. Uh, we should have an idea of how some teams look, uh, some pitchers and individuals as well. And we are pretty much in the about to enter the thick of things here in the 2022 Michigan high school baseball season. Again, one of the more anticipated years in high school baseball in Michigan in a while, uh, considering the last couple of years have followed that same trend. So Brian, how does it feel? We're here. You've been traveling a lot, uh, covering a lot of games, college, high school, you name it. You've been everywhere with PG. So talk about what it's like being back uh, back here, back in the spring like we know it. Yeah, it's a different spring for me for the first time, like personally. Um, like I started coaching high school baseball at my alma mater, Gabriel Richard, in 2014, like right when I was done with college. And, you know, like got hired full time by Perfect Game after that, but didn't stop coaching. You know, so like it's weird going into a spring where there's baseball going on when I'm also not playing coach guy. So like, you know, like obviously COVID, I didn't coach, but I wasn't also going to games that spring either. Like no one was. So it's it's a different uh, it's a different world, like walking into this simply as a scout in the spring. This is literally the first time in my professional life I've been able to do that. Um, so it's been fun, man. I've been all over the place. I've been putting a lot of miles on rental cars and getting a lot of Marriott nights and uh, seeing a lot of baseball. It's it's weird how, you know, Ohio's our neighbor and they're three weeks in more or less. Um, there's some rule there that the season has to end by a certain date, more or less to just accommodate travel ball. Uh, it's weird. I don't understand it, whatever. Um, but so, so the Michigan teams, you know, like what we're looking at, we really are just getting going. Even if I've been watching high school baseball in Florida since January, or even if I've seen it in Texas since January or whatever, we are just getting going. I'm excited to, to be going at it. I'm excited. We have our, our first super 25. Um, I was able to get out to St. Mary's last weekend and see the opening league doubleheader against Catholic central. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, man, nothing but exciting super uh, super pumped to get going and it is that time of the year where bats are going to be slow to start pitchers usually dominate at this time of the year so i think we are in that phase for, for us where we kind of sit back and i guess are pseudo analysts of what's going on uh, throughout our state's um, baseball scene we're in that weird spot where we can't gather too much out of what a team is going to offer offensively however one team has certainly made that Undeniable, And that is St. Mary's, who you have some obvious background on, but you can also offer some analysis on what they've done throughout the season. Uh, I don't have the totals of home runs, but I, I believe you mentioned to me the other day that they were on an average of 1.3 to 1.4 per inning. Uh, and <laughs> as we know, like Irish Auburn catcher uh, commits and uh, a likely draftee or, or has an opportunity to be drafted. And is certainly making the case because in his first nine plate appearances, he had four walks and five home runs. 
and his slugging percentage was over 3,000. Uh, so he's starting off hot. <laughs> Blake Grimmer, first time playing high school baseball in Michigan. Uh, I think he's got four, I believe, at this point after that game uh, yesterday against Oxford. Um, there's a bunch of other guys uh, hitting balls out. Nolan Schubert's hitting balls out. Jake Dresselhaus is hitting balls out. Vincent Cowdery. Uh, newcomer uh, for the team this year is hitting balls out. So talk a little bit about St. Mary's. I know that we don't want to harp too much on them every week, uh, but they certainly give us something to talk about, especially given that they've a played the most games and B uh, put on the best show so far. Yeah. At, at one point they were at one home run per inning. They were like 15 out of 15. Um, the other day against Oxford, they only hit three, so the average has now dipped. They have 18 home runs on the season. And we tweeted uh, last week when they hit eight like in, in game one. Like, you know, uh, Coach Greasebaum, uh, our friend of the program and, and occasional guest, uh, Dan Greasebaum Jr., Greasebaum, pardon me, um, came tweeted, like, I, there's a lot of high school teams, like good high school teams, who, who won't hit eight in a season. And you sit there and think about like how ridiculous that is, but that's that is true. You know, I, it's been a long time since I was in high school, but I think like we had five as a team my senior year on a team that won thirty games. Uh, what you know, whatever it was, like not glory days, just a comparison. Like, um, so it's nuts. And like, yes, I, I think that even nobody would say that St. Mary's plays in like a giant field. They don't. It's probably like slightly below average as far as high school like dimensions go but when you have nine dudes 10 dudes 11 dudes if you include like when porter hits and you know cowdry you mentioned and parker brustevich has a tank this year like when you mentioned you know 10 11 12 13 guys deep that can run the ball out of the yard uh you know <laughs> they might hit 100 this year in fact it would be pretty shocking if they didn't at this point right, right. um has there ever been 100 home runs hit by a high school baseball team in the state i don't think so um, and this isn't juiced bat era either. This is, you know, we're playing with BB core. This is just an unbelievable collection of talent. Yeah. I, I saw them against Catholic central. They looked great. Um, Irish is on off to an incredible start. Obviously I, even the, he like of his five or six bombs, like probably two, you could maybe call somewhat cheapies cheapies. Isn't the right word, but like it was still a stepped on like rising line drive. That would have been a triple. If it didn't clear the, f- you know, like he's not, he's not hitting flares that like carry out of a small field. He's like stepping on baseballs and hitting them hard. And, and um, that's kind of what you're looking for. The arm looks great. I, I saw Porter's first start, their first real start um, had a very um, scheduled outing. Like a very like you know follow the instructions type outing. It was ninety seven ninety eight with a seventy changeup in the first inning, as seventy on the twenty to eighty scouting scale, which means like plus plus in our vernacular. It it uh, is it is unequivocally the best changeup out of a high school pitcher I've ever watched. It is un unreal. Everyone talks velo, and I get it. Velo is great. It's it's necessary, and his is incredible. However. The changeup is like you want to say you want to say icing on the cake, but that's not that's understating. <laughs> it's yeah, it's his best pitch. Yes, it is, and it has been. It was his best pitch when it was sixty-two miles an hour. Like you know, now he throws at 78, 79, climbing in velo. He's always gonna ha- he's always been a big separator from the fastball. Um, he really spins the four seam fastball well, so like killing that much velo and killing that much spin onto the changeup helps that metrically, you know, along with the effectiveness. So he does that really well. And then he kind of was 92, 94, um, you know, trying to hit spots, showing the slider, showing the curveball. Those were the two biggest things heading into the spring, like needed to see uh, the breaking ball quality get better. The slider looks better. Uh, he let rip some that were well above what anything we saw from him last summer in that regard. Um, looked great. You know, we'll see as it continues to warm up and he, he gets loose and he, he kind of stuck at 45 or 50 pitches, whatever he was at, um, you know, had a, had a pitch count heading in. But, you know, I, obviously St. Mary's was great. They scored 29 runs that day. Like they looked great. I, I thought Evan Hager from Catholic Central was a really, really like bright, bright spot. Uh, on the other side, I, he in the first step out of the game, like Porter threw the most disgusting changeup I've ever seen thrown the first pitch of the game, and Hager missed it by like three and a half feet. And like 
that's okay. You know, like that's a major league changeup. But like the credit then to Hager was then he took another changeup for a ball and then Brock came in with 97 up and away and Hager tattooed it up the left center field gap. And Dresselhaus ran it down, but like absolutely turned around premium velocity after swinging through one of the grossest changeups, you know, from a high school pitcher I've ever seen, like individual pitches. So I thought that really stood out. Um, yeah, I tweeted about it. He's a good athlete. He can run. He can play center. He's adding some power. That, like the example I just gave, he led off the second game with a bomb pull side. Um, actually, Catholic Central went bomb, bomb to open up top of one of the second game. Like first two pitches of the game were home runs um, to get up 2 nothing, And then, you know, but uh, yeah, I, Hager really stood out for me. Like that's that's a really good younger team, CC. Like we saw the beginnings of it last year where it's like a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, like guys kind of figuring things out, new coaching staff. Uh, they play hard. They play the right way, you know, but we're young. And now this year it's another year older. Like there's some guys stepping into more mature roles. There's some guys adding parts to their games that maybe they didn't have before uh, via development, via, you know, physical development. But I, I like them. I think they're, I'm bullish on them. Uh, I think they have a chance to be, a, you know, that, that fourth finisher in the Catholic League. But, uh, you know, I, hey, good team, good uh, good opening series. I enjoyed watching it. Um, but obviously, big matchup this week with uh, St. Mary's and Liggett on Saturday. Yeah, that game is going to be must-watch. Uh, I know the prep is going to have it. I'll be on color commentary, but we don't need to dive into that. I'm excited to do that, though. That should be fun. Uh, so shout-out to Chad Bush for, for that. Uh, that game is going to be a blast uh, without all that even being considered, though, because of the, the talent that's going to be on the field. I mean, you're talking... I We should have probably done the math on this uh, I feel like a, a more prepared podcast would have like a more prepared host I should say we would have uh, known how many d1 there are in the field combined maybe you can just like spit that out of your head on top of your head I'm not sure I sure can't but there's about 18 I would say I mean like 18 is was the number I think st. Mary's is at 13 and then and then you got purify and sharp and the bars is four the other Jones brother uh, uh, Jack Jones is five. And service is six, so nineteen. So nineteen Division One commits on the field. All right. Yeah, something like that. More in the more in the program pipelines. Like yeah. <laughs> and uh, not to mention, it's a doubleheader, so you're going to get to watch it yeah. twice, which is awesome. It'll be Porter. It'll be Porter versus Barr in the first game. I'm pretty sure. So like, line up. You know, like get there early. <laughs> you're you're gonna need. The price of admission isn't enough, no matter what it is. It's um, you're watching two guys that that might one day be in <clears throat> pro uniforms. At least, I mean, Porter. I feel like we can comfortably say that about. Uh, but you know, Barr's been as good of a arm this state has in the past two years. I mean, I think Porter's kind of on an island in his own. I think uh, he's on an island, and the island next to him is probably Lally and and, and Chapansky and um, maybe even throw in a couple other guys there but I mean Barr when we saw him last year the, the way he moves his fastballs I mean he'll throw it straight he'll throw it with a two seam he'll throw it with a splitter he'll throw yeah. it with, I think he can throw with a sinker as well so you know just the way he moves all four directions with that fastball is so hard to read where it's going to catch your barrel um, and the one that you think is going to move ends up being the straight one and flies right by us so he, it's underrated for a high school pitcher to have that kind of movement on a fastball you don't hear it as much usually you hear about the secondary stuff which is he has that too don't get me wrong but the way he can um, you know funnel a fastball is super advanced in my opinion. So that's going to be a great game to watch, especially if you're a fan of the art of pitching. Which I'm more of an offense guy, but I think that you're going to see two teams struggle for a couple of innings to figure out how to hit it, how to hit a guy. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if either team comes out hitting well, though. The talent that's in their lineups probably equals the talent that's going to be on the mound. But uh, it'll be a blast regardless. Uh, I think that. Um, I think something that you're going to see there is uh, just a preview of what this year has in store for us in Michigan high school baseball, the competitiveness and, um, you know, the parody past one. I think Orchard Lake, again, is its, its own world, but past Orchard Lake, there's a lot of anyone can beat anyone type of scenarios there. I mean, we'll have the Super 25 on here soon uh, in, during this episode, and you can see when we were making this, Brian, I mean, we were – 
I mean, three could have been 10, 10 could have been three, 12 could have been five. I mean, there was a lot of, um, you know, interchangeable picks there where we were just trying to come up with edges that one team, some teams had over the other. And it's hard to find. And there's so much talent everywhere. I think in those 25, those top 25 teams, nearly every team had a D1 guy. And you couldn't say that in the past. So it's just another year of uh, Michigan high school baseball being awesome. And um, the Super 25 is, is finally here. We have a great game ahead with Liggett and Orchard Lake on Saturday. Um, I just got to see Woodhaven play Detroit Edison, and Woodhaven came out on top 7-5 to five at their beautiful new facility. Um, incredible turf fields at both the baseball and softball fields, as well as an all-purpose 100-yard football field. So it's good to see uh, Downriver continuing to improve its um, infrastructure here for the athletic facilities around the area and the footprint that it has uh, in multiple sports now around here, especially with Woodhaven Trenton, uh, I think the Why Not Bears will make some noise this year. Uh, in baseball, Amp Parks, always very solid with Coach Gulliver, who's as consistent as uh, me drinking my coffee black because I've never drank it differently. So, Woodhaven and Edison, impressive game. I thought from both sides, you saw a lot of star power out of Edison with Greg Pace and Caleb Saunders. Uh, Greg Pace looked as advertised, both on the mound um, coming in and not being able to win at us in the game because they were already down when he came in, um, but he did stop the bleeding. And then uh, Caleb Saunders looked decent with the bat. Uh, pace just flies uh, around the base path, and I've never seen a kid glide, like float, um, like the way mm-hmm. that kid does. Um, host of scouts there watching him as well. And then on the other side, Woodhaven started with Kyle Harris, and they were down 4 nothing. Um, but a, a, a battle from Woodhaven in the, I believe it was the fifth inning, uh, put them back at four to four. Uh, Edison then took the lead six five, and then Woodhaven rally with two more, uh, one in the two in the um, two in the fifth to make it six to five, and then added another one uh, on the bottom half of the sixth to make it seven to five, and then came in and closed it out with Ray Perez, who looked really well, uh, really good on the mound and polished on the mound, and good with the bat as well. Uh, C.J. Wilmot was the game winner there with a, a gapper. Uh, double to clear the bases for Woodhaven and and ended up tying the game and starting the rally that they needed because at one point it looked like Edison was going to roll. Um, Edison dealing with some injuries right now. I think they're going to be stronger down the stretch. Not having your starting catcher is going to hurt you in any scenario. Um, Edison's concerns uh, are... You know the concerns they had last year and the concerns that they have this year are their depth. You know their their top nine is a is a great group. Past that, they they have some question marks that they have to fill with some younger guys, just given the size of their school. And um, so you know I think that they're a team that's going to be fine. You know uh, Woodhaven. Again, they look like a Corey Farner team. They're scrappy. There's a lot of energy. Um, they don't go down easy in counts typically. They're going to find ways to put the ball somewhere. They're smart. They're not swinging at a lot of balls. Um, they did find themselves getting doubled up in a, in a scenario where they could have driven in a couple of runs. And so there's there were some mistakes, but there's not many mistakes on a Farner team uh, in the, with Woodhaven so far in his tenure. So you saw a lot of that. Uh, a lot of consistency. And that's something that we talk about when we build the Super 25. So I weighing into that is uh, a team like Blissfield is going to find themselves ranked in the Super 25. And, and they have to replace Kevin Tuttle. Who are, it's Kevin Tuttle, correct? I feel like I have that wrong. No, Blissfield was uh, Gorky and Ganim, right? Gorky and Ganim. Who was Tuttle? Uh, that was Gabriel Richard like four years ago. Larry Tuttle is their head coach that retired. Yeah. yeah. That's who I'm talking about. Kevin Tuttle was a player. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. I'm all over Here the place. Here we go. <laughs> Downriver and Blissfield coming together in Brandon's brain. You're getting it live here on Down. Bears play Blissfield today, and it's a good thing go. I did some studying. They're replacing four. two guys who went to Bowling Green, Horky and Ganim. They're as far yeah. as players, they're replacing. Yes, but I meant yes. first time as a new head coach. Um, and last there we year, go. year in and year out, we could always throw Blissfield as a team to compete because of the consistency they have with their head coach, and you're starting to see that. Uh, come to fruition at Woodhaven, uh, having Farner as long as they've had. Same thing with Trenton having Zalka as long as they've had, and Allen Park having Gulliver as long as they've had those teams. And and in Cotner, you know, he's been here twenty plus years at Wyandotte, so it's you're always going. Those teams are always going to compete regardless of what they have. Um, so Woodhaven does not have a Ryan Chapaniak, Drew Chapaniak, Colin Chukowski this year, um, but went out and beat Edison in an early year game where they're typically you know going to struggle uh, with 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 the bats, and they still put up seven. So. Um, that's what I saw from them. So with that being said, Super 25 time, first one of the year, uh, second annual. So the second season that we are doing this, it was a hit last year. I think everyone loves rankings. Um, I think it kind of follows our 
I guess, goal of shining that light and, and finding new ways to, um, you know, put some attention on Michigan baseball um, because it's deserved. So we will roll into the Super 25 on the other side of this interview with Oakland head coach Jordan Banfield. Welcome into the interview portion this episode of Cold Weather Bats. We're joined by a special guest who we've been trying to get on the show since its inception. Uh, But now that we're cleared through compliance, uh, we'd like to welcome Oakland University head baseball coach Jordan Banfield to the pod. Coach Banfield, thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on with us, man. A great season you guys are having so far. Like, can you just a quick react to that sort of thing? Oakland playing real well. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me, guys. Um, always listen to the show, try to stay up on what's going on and learn about players. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been good. You know, we, uh, you know, it's my second year, obviously last year was an interesting one as, you know, first year with with everything that was going on. And, uh, you know, definitely felt like, you know, throughout the fall and winter, we were going to be a lot better. And, uh, you know, went out the first weekend in California, played really good, won the series. And, uh, and honestly just didn't play very good for, for three weeks. Um, lost a lot of close games and it still felt like we were a lot better than, uh, you know, we, we got down to Wright state for the, the horizon league opener. Um, and took two out of three and, uh, kind of haven't looked back since, you know, Oakland had never won a series at Wright state, right? There's Wright state hadn't lost a uh, home series to anyone league or non-league since 2013. Um, uh, so that was a big one just, just to, you know, show some, some tangible progress and, and uh, shoot, man, we've, we've taken the last two conference series as well. One, one, two out of three both times, and uh, mixed in a fourteen to seven win at Michigan, which was pretty awesome for uh, for me and the guys. So it's been a good run, but baseball is a, a fickle game, what we know, and we just we just need to keep playing good and uh, you know showing up every day, giving the same effort, and feel like we're going to be in a good spot. So take us through building the team that is currently constructed at Oakland. And, and this is more of a, maybe not specific to Oakland, but a general thought when you're, when you're coming in to, to take over a new program. Uh, not a new program. Obviously, Oakland's been around, but you're new to the program. What is the, the balancing act of, hey, I need to bring in some JC guys who can play right away. I need to hit the transfer portal for some guys who can play right away. But obviously, you also want to bring in freshmen who for you to develop so you can have these life, you know, these program guys, what is that balancing act? Like, how do you do that? You have freshmen who are playing for you every day this year or guys who pitch a fair bit for you. What is the, what goes into that balancing act? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a couple fold, you know, in our situation, it was really unique for a number of reasons. You know, you said a new program and, and yeah, Oakland's been around, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, we, we were trying to create a new program and that was, that was sort of the direction that, after talking with everyone, we felt like made the most sense. And, you know, so we come in, um, you know, summer of, well, I guess it's 2020. And, uh, you know, there's like, there's like 17 players on the roster that aren't in the portal. I think they only carried 26 the year before. And, uh, you know, a few of those, you know, didn't work out for whatever reason. I mean, we got to go add like over 20 guys in two months when we can't go on the road recruiting and we can't have anyone on a visit. So that was certainly a, a unique way to, to get started. Um, and, and obviously, you know, in the summer before, before school starts, there's not a ton of high school kids available. So we were honestly just signing transfers from everywhere, you know, sight unseen in person a lot of the time. Um, and, and, and that's not a very good way to do it, to be honest. Um, number one, you don't get to evaluate the player in person, which is, you know, tough to say the least. You also don't get to meet the kid and get a feel for them and, and, and whether they're a fit for, you know, what we're trying to do. And, and, and every year, I, I mean this, the, the makeup piece, it's more and more clear as the separator for, you know, what guys have success and what don't and, and what guys fit in our program with, with my coaching style and the way that we want to do things and all that. So, you know, I, I think a lot of good players, we ended up signing some guys that weren't ideal fits for what we were trying to do um, and, and really just feel like, you know, having a year to, to get settled in and, and, and develop relationships and, and get some guys that, that I had prior relationships with that I knew would be the right fit and then retain the guys that, you know, we felt like wanted and could be a part of a successful program here. Just, just feels like that's all sort of falling into place. So, you know, you talk about that balance, man, there, there's no, 
there's no right or wrong answer. You know, and obviously the hot thing today everybody wants to talk about is portal, 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 like, you know, and I get the job and everybody's talking about, yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you just need to go get a bunch of power five transfers. Like that's just, you know, really easy to do. Like you know, <laughs> the five guys that leave Mississippi state are just lining up to, you know, cover the horizon league. That's just not really how it works. Um, the, the honest answer is, is you take the best players you can get from wherever you get them. Um, you know, I think early on here, we, we've been, you know, 50, 50, transfer versus versus high school kids um, you know i'd like to see that trend more towards the 70 30 high school as we move forward and, and i think you know, our, our 20 22 class we have coming in will probably be at least that you know we're bringing in a number of high school kids and then mixing in a few transfers you know it's it's just such an inexact science man i mean people think you know oh, let's go get a juco kid because they're ready well let me tell you man they're not ready either mm-hmm. the, the the gap between Juco and Division One is is wide, for the most part. For the most part, I mean, there's there's obviously a couple places that have a bunch of draft picks and all that, but you know, we played some junior colleges in the fall, and they have good players, but it's just it's a really wide gap in terms of the level of play, the level of everything, conditioning, coaching, scouting reports, all that. So there are no sure. I mean, the the only sure thing is is a Division One transfer that's done it at the Division One level somewhere else. And still, you don't know, you know, from a fit perspective. So, you know, it's, it's, I think everybody has their own way of doing it. I mean, I've, I've talked to some guys that, you know, have come in the new jobs and we're only going to recruit high school kids, you know. Well, I just think that's going to take a really long time for you to get good because high school kids aren't ready. They're not ready. Um, there's always an exception. For the most part, they're not ready mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that. They're just not. Um, so, you know, it's an exact science, but that's, that's sort of the approach we took. So you talk about the difficulty of transitioning as a high school senior going into your college freshman year. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, there's certainly places out there, whether it be summer programs, the bigger ones, or, you know, the bigger high schools, the private high schools uh, across the country who, who may better prepare uh, those seniors to get to that freshman year and, and, and strive quicker, but there's far more that aren't. Um, we know that. So, talk about what goes into playing as a freshman uh, at Division One level, the difficulty of it, and if you had to come up with a, a better way for these kids to get ready, uh, and the advice you would give to maybe a senior, junior, sophomore who's aspiring to get there, listening to this right now, uh, how, what's a better way for them to prepare themselves? Yeah. Um... You know, the, the bottom line is, like you said, it's just really hard. And yes, there are some places that do a better job. There are certain travel programs that I like to recruit because I think their guys are more ready. Um, and, and that usually doesn't have anything to do with their training or, or anything like that. Um, it has to do with there are certain places that really, really coach their kids and send us players that are used to being coached and used to being told that they're not good yet um, because they're not, they're, they're, they're not going to show up the first week of September in the fall and be really good right away. You know, the guys that have never been told that they need to get better at stuff or never been told that they need to do stuff a certain way all the time, have a harder transition. Uh, I think there's a ton of, of, of programs out there that, that spend a lot of time hyping their players up, telling them how good they are, and I think those kids are, are set up to have a really, really tough transition to the college level in most programs. So number one, best thing you can do, play for somebody that tells you the truth, that knows how big of a jump it is from high school to division one or whatever level you're going to go play at. Um, and then there's obviously the mental and, and physical and emotional piece, which is, which is a whole nother, you know, our guys are strong. Most high school kids think they are and then show up and they're the weakest guy on the team. Um, you know, every, you know, I don't want to say every, but I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, somebody's told me that this guy will be our hardest worker. Probably not, you know, probably not because every guy that we have, we hope was the hardest worker on their high school or junior college team. Um, so it, it's just, it's just a big jump, you know, be as physically ready to go as possible be as mentally ready to go as possible and be able to handle some of the waves of, of what it's going to be like. You know, the, the fall, you know, your first year in college is, is tough. We play every day. We lift four days a week. You know, there's no breaks. 
Um, I actually give guys Saturday and Sunday off in the fall just to to try to give them some recovery and, and, you know, not, not roll into the ground, but it's, uh, it's a big adjustment. And, and, and the biggest thing that they can do is, is be ready to not have a ton of success right away and just keep their head down and keep working. Those are the guys that, you know, tend to have the most success. I mean, I noticed the other day we're playing Michigan. There's, there's one freshman in either lineup. Um, there was a kid that, that we have that's having an awesome year that's, that's proven to be the outlier, but it's just really hard. It's just really hard. And the sooner that you accept that and, and just, you know, put your head down and keep working and don't quit, don't get discouraged, don't get distracted, you know, the more likely you are to get on the right path. We're on with Oakland University head coach Jordan Banfield. Coach, we mentioned travel ball a little bit there. This is actually a, a good segue into talking about your background. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We've known each other a long time, but you started out coaching travel ball, right? The Ann Arbor Travelers? I did. I did. Those were uh, those were really good years, man. Really fun. Got done with college. Um, you know, I'd done a little bit of high school stuff. Pretty quickly found out that wasn't for me. Um, got into, you know, I ran a, ran an indoor training facility in Canton, Michigan and, and started a, uh, travel ball program. Uh, a group of parents approached me to, to coach a, a kind of a team that had already been together and sort of rebranded it. And, you know, as, as the years went by, you know, it was just one team didn't have an organization, um, just kept, kept adding better players and winning more and more. And we got to like the 16, 17, 18 year old levels and, and started to win a lot. Um, ended up having like 20 division one players that played, played on that one team at one point or another, went to County Mac world series, uh, two years in a row, you know, one, I don't know, basically every major tournament in the Midwest there is from whatever black swamp, Buckeye elite, those kind of deals. And it was really fun, man. I'm, I'm super close with a ton of those kids to this day. Um, I had a uh, first guy make it to the big leagues two years ago, I guess. Um, so that was, uh, that was a ton of fun. And, I kind of got done, you know, the, the last year when at 18, you at County Mac and I just decided that I wanted to, uh, you know, sort of, instead of starting that whole deal again and continuing to teach lessons, I wanted to, you know, test my hand at, at, at the college level and see what I could uh, make of myself in coaching. So I pursued it and here I'm at. So, yeah, you said it best. Here you are, here you're at, right? Uh, so reflect a little bit how you got here and take us through maybe one or two, whatever you can come up with, even if it's just one big one, a lesson that you learned around along the way, something that maybe you did when you were younger as a coach, or maybe something even recently that you've done as a coach where you look back and maybe you didn't change it, but you just fine tuned it a little bit. And, uh, it taught you something that's taken you, uh, to this level that you're at now. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing, and I found this out, found this part out quickly was that, you know, a lot of young coaches get out of college coaching because they can't get over all the negatives. You know, they say they really want to do it, but you know, well, the money's a problem. The hours are a problem. The no vacations, a problem. The recruiting's a problem. There's no paid third assistant. Well, listen, man, all of that just is what it is. And it's a supply and demand issue. You know, a lot of people want to coach college baseball and there's not that many jobs. And there's a lot of people that are willing to do it for free. Um, you know, so I actually was in an interesting spot. Like I, I thought I had a full-time division one job lined up, you know, coming out of a coaching travel ball and it fell, uh, fell through due to, you know, some, some HR posting qualifications issues and, and whatnot. I just picked up and moved to Springfield, Illinois as a volunteer assistant and recruiting coordinator for it's now one of my best friends, Chris Ramirez. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, you know, he was brand new there. It was a place that hadn't won. You know, and I got there and he had a, a pitching coach that made a, a little stipend and there was three volunteers. Um, and 12 months later, I was the only one left because the others had all had all left for one reason or another, mostly, you know, mostly getting out of, out of coaching. And you know, so that just showed me, you, know, you just need to keep your head down and keep working. And, and, if, and if the money and all that's a problem, then find a way to figure it out or go do something else. So that would certainly be one, um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I've learned, and this is since becoming a head coach, you know, I feel like I was fairly well prepared, you know, to, to go from being an assistant to a head coach. Cause I, I had, at my last job, I, I had done a lot of the back end stuff that the head coaches do in terms of scheduling and budgets. And, you know, I'd run the recruiting, you know, essentially by myself at, at all three, uh, other places I'd been at in terms of managing it. And so, so I had an idea for that stuff, but the biggest thing I had to find out last year was, you know, I'm ultra competitive. Um, 
certainly have, you know, some fire. And, you know, I, I think that, that I can handle getting upset about stuff, you know, during a game or a practice and I can be the same coach 30 seconds later. Um, what I didn't realize, um, or didn't realize how significant it was, was the impact that, you know, the way I handled stuff, um, impacted my players because they were always looking at me now that I was the head coach. So I learned a lot. Um, I, uh, you know, we have some really, really quality, quality kids now that are part of, you know, our leadership council that, that we instilled and, and I meet with them all the time and, and, and we just have really honest and open communication. Um, you know, I tell them the truth all the time. Um, they better be able to hear the truth. That's the quality we value. And, and, and they do the same to me. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's allowed, you know, me to have a better relationship with, with those guys, um, and, and our group as a whole. And, and I think it's allowed us to, to make a jump as a program. That, that'd probably be the two, man. One final question for you, coach, before we let you get out of here, obviously appreciate you uh, coming on with us, but take us through, you just mentioned your leadership council and that's upperclassmen or captains or however you want to look. Can you explain that to us? What the, what the, the, the sort of the, the makeup and the point and the execution of, of something like that is in a team setting. So that's, that's separate from, we, we have captain as well. We have two of those, um, the leadership council separate. Um, we have, uh, we, we have a vote early, relatively early in the fall. And, and I think we let them vote for, for four this year, I think. Um, and and there's no set number that's going to be on it. This year we have seven. The rules are that, uh, you know, we just sort of cut it off when there's a clear divide in the votes And, and you're not voting for the leaders of the team. You're not voting for captains. Um, you're voting for the guys that want. You know that, that that you trust that you see do things the right way, and that, and that you trust to represent your interests and your voice within the team. You know we have thirty seven players, um, so the rules are there's got to be one freshman on leadership council, and there's got to be one new transfer on leadership council. So the highest vote getting freshman, the highest vote getting um, transfers automatically on, and then we had five others uh, this year, and, and and I meet with them biweekly. Um, and you know, all the rest of our players meet with my assistants biweekly on an individual basis. But I meet with that group and we just talk about, you know, whatever's going on within the team. Is, is there is there something I need to know about? You know, do we need to, do we need to adjust something? Do we need to do it differently? And, and you know, what I told them going in was, you know, I don't promise that I'm gonna do everything you guys suggest, but I promise I'll listen. And uh, you know, it's it's stuff as basic as, you know, shoot man, what you know, where are we eating at on the road, you know, what time we leave and you know what, uh, what uniforms we wear. And I mean, ba- basic, basic stuff to, to stuff that's more important. And, and, you know, we've had a couple things pop up throughout the year and, and they've been awesome because it gives, gives the rest of the guys a voice, you know, that I can hear. It's hard for me to meet with 37 players every week as, as individuals. And, uh, you know, it, it's also given, given me a way to, to relay some things back, you know, to the whole group through, you know, a group of seven that, really really own my trust and uh has done a great job for us so that's kind of how we do that and like i said we have we have captains on top of that we have we have two and that's, that's sort of separate that's that's more the on-field leader type and, and we select those separate from the leadership council later in the year i like that idea man it gives the uh it's like that bridge you know like it's like you said it's tough to meet with 37 guys weekly as the head coach but it's important to be able to do that and having those guys who have your trust to be your sort of go-between. Yeah, man, that's a great idea. I like that. Actually, I took it from Eric Backage at Michigan. We, we had lunch this summer and, and I'd heard of some different people doing it and always sort of said, ah, you know, whatever, you know, everybody's got their own stuff. Do, do we really need that? Like what, what's the real benefit or is it just another thing? I, uh, I'm fully on board with it. it it's, it's worked well for us. That'll probably be something that, uh, you know, I'll have as long as I'm coaching. Well, awesome, Coach. We're going to shut it down there. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. Coach Jordan Banfield, the head baseball coach at Oakland University. Oakland, enjoying a baseball renaissance for the first time since I can remember, at least. So uh, looking forward to continuing to watch all the ongoings in Rochester Hills there. Um, coach, again, thanks for joining us, man. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks for coming on, Coach. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome back. 
again, special thanks to uh, Coach Jordan Banfield from Oakland University for spending some time with us today. A great interview segment. I love when we get to pick coaches' brains um, on specific stuff. Like, I love recruiting philosophy discussion, like team building, that sort of thing, culture building. Uh, so good conversation with Coach Banfield. Uh, we know that we teased this pretty good in the intro. We know that we wanted to keep you around. Uh, but without further ado... James, if we could get some fire audio clip here. It's the first iteration of the 2022 Cold Weather Bats Super 25. So, Brandon, uh, as we've done in years past, meaning last year, because there's only been one year past, um, we've done a top 25, regardless of division, regardless of classification, regardless of conference or division or whatever. Uh, every high school baseball team in the state of Michigan is eligible to be ranked in this. We're doing it all in one. I don't like breaking it down division one, division two, whatever. Like when I do the JUCO rankings at PG, I don't break it down by D1, D2, NJCAA, whatever. It's any JUCO is eligible. I'll rank them. Just depends on how, how good I think they are. Um, so we do a top 25. We will have five also considered. That's kind of the uh, the immediate leftover from the top 25, uh, but those are obviously not in any particular order. Brandon, I would say that the vast majority of the weight we put into these has to do with how good we think they'll be. Obviously, this year, um, star power plays a role because, hey, baby, star power wins in high school baseball. Um you know, and and I think a small bit has to do with historical precedent, like you know, coaching consistency. Um, like you talked about with Coach Farner and, and the update, like Farner teams don't make many mistakes. You could always count on a on a Larry Tuttle team from Blissfield to be good. Like that sort of thing goes into it. And then a small bit what they did last year. Uh, obviously, there's some teams who went really really far last year and, and lost a bunch of their players, and maybe they won't be that good again. But hey, got to give the nod at least in some respects to to a deep advancer a year ago. Um, so yeah, I, Brandon, did I miss anything? Or are we good to roll? Nope. I uh, you know. The most consistent thing on this show is you covering the bases, baby. So we are ready to roll. Uh, we want to start with our also considered section and then uh, make our way up to the 25 as we did last year and go five per. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. Sounds great. I'll kick us off here uh, in the also considered section. Uh, starting from the bottom, these are in no particular order. Uh, we've got Heartland. Uh, head coach Brad, Gun- Brad Gunther's got a good team coming back this year. Uh, again, you talk about head coach. Uh, I, I, excellent style from Gunther. I think it's going to be aggressive. That's going to put them in a situation to win more games than they lose. Uh, Bay City John Glenn, who returns guys like Nathan Ball and Brody Kreziak, uh, on top of a few others that are going to contribute for them as well. They really have a stronghold in the Saginaw area, sharing that kind of with Frankenmuth and Garber, uh, and that will be a nice battle of those three. We got Rockford over on the west side of the state coming off a successful 2021 season where they made a lot of noise. Expect that to follow this year, um, but not so much so that we're going to put them in the top 25 to start. Want to see a couple of games out of them first. And then we've got Hemlock, a team that uh, Sack himself uh, personally recommended for this. I don't have a ton of info on Hemlock, but they are a team that we uh, that we have uh, heard a lot about and uh, enough to put in the also considered section. And then lastly, Beale City. Uh, year in and year out, Beale City competes in D4. Um, they consistently win a lot of baseball games, and it would not be a Super 25 uh, before 2022 without Beale City finding a way in there. Now, if uh, their season goes left or right, we'll see. Um, but they're as consistent as, as any team on here, especially in Division 4. Don't forget about Tanner Sontag at Bay City John Glenn. Sneaky one of the like one of the better players, even in that 23 class that's as loaded as we talk about, like he's like 88, 92 and hits tanks. Like it's just, it's an interesting player that I'm looking forward to seeing more of. That's a, that's a really good team. Bay city, John Glenn. Um, all right. So go, for me, 25 to 21, we will start it off at number 25 with Monroe. Uh, obviously a, a very talented, very Southeastern Michigan club. Noah Miller behind the plate. Uh, Brandon, you've talked about several of their arms uh, having good stuff. I saw a bunch of them at the Great Lakes Indoor not all that long ago. Really talented core group of guys. Uh, We'll see how the depth is throughout the course of the season, obviously. But Monroe, number 25. Number 24, Brandon. 
I'm just going to let you talk about them. We're going to interrupt this. Number 24, Gross Point South. Why are they ranked? South has a lot of production returning back this year. Wells Graham is coming back to play. Uh, he's He had some hip stuff going on early in the year, but he'll be cleared here soon, and he will be a vital part of that team. Uh, he'll play shortstop for them, I'd imagine. Um, they've got Chase Maisie coming back, who's really elevated his game and is throwing in the upper 80s, uh, and he's got an excellent uh, secondary with a, a nice sweeping curveball that's been working for him for the past couple of years. I think uh, his improvement will be huge for them because he will be a top-of-the-rotation guy guy that they've needed Robbie Leonard uh, Adrian commit who's going to be pretty good for them and he's throwing in those high velo stages with a nice secondary Um, not as polished as Maisie but Leonard gives you a lot of upside and and also allows you to put Maisie somewhere in the field because the bat helps you there Jonathan Drake is a a big bat for them coming back that's going to help them Um, they've got they they really got talent all over that team they don't make mistakes Alex Tiggis is coming off of an all-league year as a catcher in 2021 where he really elevated his game and he's spelled by Ben Domzalski who could probably go in and play a third or outfield just so you can get his bat in there so they've they've got a lot of depth they've got a lot of pieces there that they can move around a lot of versatility position versatility and the thing with gross point south teams is they're so well coached and there's not many mistakes and they're very um mechanic heavy from the age from the young age so like five six years old these kids you know gross point is baseball and and those things matter um when it comes to close games and just as the season goes on so uh greasebaum's got a nice team there this year i think he's going to have a lot of production coming back from last year it's going to assist them uh in their hunt to knock off dakota uh, which we were we nearly did last year and and they might be able to do it this year but we'll hear from dakota here soon yeah definitely all right we'll kick it back to me number 23 ported central uh, D1 runners up last year. You lose Luke Lito, you lose Zach McDonald, you lose Gavin Brzozowski. Obviously, quite a, a trio of stars they had last year, quite a trio of production. Um, had to had to give them the nod, at, like we said, as the D1 runners up a year ago. More to that team than just those three guys, and that was obviously a very good team. Um, so we still expect them to be pretty solid. Staying on the west side, number 22, Matawan. Um, you know, a team that was popular in the preseason polls for the MHSBCA. They were number seven in D1. Uh, sure, I, I think they're going to be pretty good, too. I, I'm we're, we're both like, you know, undisguised fans of Carson Byers. Um, you know, they have more good players than just Carson Byers. But either way, at Matawan at number 22 and number 21, a team we've already kind of talked about, Blissfield. Um, new coach for the first time in like literally anyone's memory, like literally anyone's memory the first time that Blitzfield will have a new head coach, uh, lose a couple of stars in, in Ganim and Horky. We'll see. But again, it's Blitzfield. Just kind of expect them to be like their worst years are good. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that'll take us to number 20. Brandon, please. So at number 20, we have our first division four team in the top 25, and that is Cardinal Mooney. Uh, Mooney came off a state finalist year last year as runners up, losing to Hackett Prep. Uh, Cardinal Mooney is a team that returns, I think, everyone. I don't know who they lost, and if they did, I it's not off the top of my head, but they return, uh, you know, Ty Bodecker, who's an, who's an awesome shortstop for Mike Rice, head coach Mike Rice, who I just spoke about uh, his team with a few days ago. Uh, loves what he has at shortstop with Bodecker. He's got a, a great backstop uh, in Tommy Rice, who's committed to Saginaw Valley State. Um, they've got a couple arms that are going to work for them. And, you know, they really have they pretty much go nine deep. Um, and, and these kids kind of grew up together. Trent Rice is probably the the, the key centerpiece there. He's playing center field, uh, Oakland commit. So he's going to be, uh, I think, the centerpiece of that team. And they've got guys to go beat good teams, not just Division Four. They've got a roster that can go and beat a lot of these Super 25 teams on, on, a, on a given day. And in D4, they are probably the favorite i would say uh, it would be hard to not have them as the favorite this year especially given the experience they had last year so this team's coming back hungry motivated um they're not satisfied with losing in the state finals that's that's evident so uh, i think this team is going to win a lot of baseball games this year at 19 um again consistency uh jc coach sanchez juan carlos at detroit western uh every year that team comes back with with talent and competes um this year is as good as any year abel Gutierrez 
Gutierrez behind the plate will be awesome for them. Sebastian Hymas comes back as, as a great arm for them. We'll play some third base, uh, maybe even some first. They've got guys all over the field that are going to uh, have the tools with speed and power at the plate. They've got a knife. Every year they have a lot of um, each. They've got power bats. They've got speed. They've got uh, defensive infielders, defensive out. I mean, every year they seem to have a mix of pieces. It's not just a bunch of uh, mechanic fast kids. It's not just um, a bunch of outfielders who are trying to play in. I mean, he's got, he's really got a lot of pieces there this year that are going to help him. Uh, 18, you've got Livonia Stevenson, uh, strong season last year. We didn't really have them on the radar as a team that was going to win a lot of games last year, um, but they ended up doing it. Dom Kropinski is one of the better catchers in the state um, for Stevenson, so he's going to hold down the bases for them and limit a lot of what other teams can do to score. And at the plate, as a lefty bat, he's going to help them a lot in the middle of that order. Plenty of other guys there that will help them too. At 17, we have Hudsonville, another team that's whose consistency you just can't really deny happens every year they're always good um and so they have to find their way in the super 25 at 16 we've got edison we already spoke about edison earlier in the show so i won't dwell too much um but greg pace is going to give you a chance to win any game when he's on the mound and if he's not on the mound if you hit a ball to center field it's not going to be um going to the ground it's going to be caught uh and then at the plate he helps you a ton and so does caleb saunders the dayton commit uh and several others on that team if they can get some health uh in certain positions i think that that's going to elevate their season some more um but you'll probably see a season similar to last year's if they have another showdown with liggett it'll still be a must watch um so yeah that takes us to 15 and i'm back 15, uh, Stevensville Lakeshore, last year's Division II runners-up, uh, really good team last year um, to get to the state final, obviously ran into St. Mary's, uh, kept it close for the first couple innings, but you know, tough to go through that lineup more than once. Um, but they were young. Uh, you know, I went and watched them in their uh, state semifinal game to kind of try and get a feel for them after St. Mary's had advanced, and it's, it's a younger team. If I remember right, they're Catcher and ace and shortstop were all underclassmen. I could be remembering that wrong, but either way, a young team, they made it that far. They've been good forever, you know, consistently. Uh, you could pretty much say, like, at the beginning of any given year, all right, I got Lakeshore in the final four at D2, and, like, it's probably going to happen. So I uh, would expect them to be good again. Um, number 14, Richmond. Uh, again, we're, we really like a lot of these schools um, with the star power. Uh, you know, obviously Hudson Davenport, uh, um Brandon, what's the name of the left-hander there? That would be Ben Hitzelberger. That's my mistake. Sorry, Ben. Uh, Brandon Newt. Uh, anyways, yeah, it, the star power there matters. Uh, Richmond's going to play a lot of games against teams where uh, Hitzelberger and, and Davenport are going to be the, the two best arms uh, on the field in, in any given day. So you got that working for you. Obviously, uh, um, a lot of power at the plate there. Richmond had a good year last year. Would expect that to continue. Uh, number 13, shouts out to Buchanan. Um, there's a lot of D3 schools we like, and you know there, there's going to be a lot of D3 schools that we like all year. And then at the end of the day, someone's still going to have to go through Liggett. So you know we'll, we'll get to Liggett shortly, uh, not, maybe not that shortly, but eventually. And um, as much as we like Buchanan, as good as they were last year, you know it, it, I think they won 27 or 28 games, whatever it was last year. Um, I'm sure I'll be corrected if that's wrong. Either way, it's. Uh, it's a really good team. It was a younger team, another one of those teams that's kind of on the up. A lot of good 23s in that program. Um, would expect them to be good. But again, like we'll say with any D3 school, someone's going to have to go through Liggett. Uh, number 12, Brandon, this was an interesting one where you and I were both bullish on this team in a, in a year last year that was up and down slash maybe disappointing slash finish strong, but like the route they got there was ugly. Uh, and that's gross point North at 12. Uh, we were really excited about the, the level of talent they had last year. Um, we ranked them high coming in last year. As I recall, uh, we've talked ad nauseum about uh, the Hill brothers. We've talked about, uh, talked about how good Nick good was last year. It's a really, really good team. It's a really talented team. Um, you know, Jake Tedesco throws in the nineties now and is six, six and left-handed. And like, if he's in the zone at all, he'll be tough to hit. Um, 
see, again, really bullish there. We'll see. New coaching staff. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, very bullish on Gross Point North. And number 11, Portage Northern. Uh, this was a team who took their lumps last year to start the season. Um, they were kind of up and down as they they figured themselves out. And a younger team, the the best player on the team is probably the sophomore, Ty Tomlinson. He's committed to Michigan. He's really coming into his own as a star in this state. Um, yeah, I, excited about them. I, I think Brandon and I both agree that uh, uh, that's a team that is on the upswing and like based on last year, maybe shouldn't be ranked as high as they are, but when you look into more what they're going to do versus what they have done, you can kind of see uh, the justification for, for us being excited about them at number 11. Yeah. And if we made rankings just based on last year, we'd be having a uh, much longer discussion. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, North is a good team, man. I mean, North is a, a team that's got a lot of, uh, we talk about pieces and they, they have a lot of pieces on the mound and in the field. Um, you know, there, there's really no scarcity of talent on that team, top to bottom. They've got probably nine or ten guys that could go play college baseball on that team. Um, you know, it starts with it starts with Brennan Hill and it starts with Drew Hill and Tedesco and um, you mentioned those guys, but they've even got a really solid backstop and Luke Babcock, who I believe is playing at Madonna. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and they've got uh, several other guys in that team. Jordan Arsenault, who's going to be a good right-handed uh, arm for them, uh, like he was last year. Nice heavy fastball. They've got um, gosh, what's the, they've got Camp Schaefer, who's going to go play probably some real solid second base for them, uh, part of the Metro Stars organization. So you know, a lot of a lot of good pieces there, um, and some get overlooked because of the star power there at the top. But uh, I think they've got some good leadership there this season in the dugout, and it's going to help them uh, succeed this year. Uh, and looking forward to seeing what the product is at Gross Point North and Gross Point South. That'll be a nice battle again this year, like it always is. So we move into the top ten, and we don't stray too far away from North and South. We're going to stay in the MAC, and the top-ranked team from that conference this year is going to be Macomb, Dakota. Uh, here in the preseason, they they won the MAC Red last year uh, in dramatic fashion, uh, beating South by one run in uh, the final of a three-game series. And they are returning the bulk of their production last year, uh, including a guy like Will DeMassey, who was a nice. Um, debut for him because remember the sophomores last year was their first year so it was everyone's first look at Damasi and he had a great season uh, and they return a lot of production you know all around the field um, they're going to have they're going to do the same things they always do. They're going to hit the ball hard. They're going to spray the ball. They always have good hitting teams. Last year, they really hit the ball one to nine. Um, I mean, like, I don't say that to say that. I mean, they hit the ball one to nine uh, at any point. Play good defense. They have good arms. So they have all the makings of a team that can make a run. Uh, at nine, you got Grand Rapids Christian. Big reason we're picking Grand Rapids Christian. I think Brian and I both agree on this. Anytime Kyle Remington, Minnesota commit, is on the mound, they got a chance to win. Doesn't matter who they're playing. Um, he's not going to wow you with some sort of like mid nineties velo. As far as I know right now, it's probably still going to hover around the 88 to 89 mark um, at most at this point. Uh, I don't know where those, but I'm excited to see where those gains have gone um, from last year to this year. But where that kid is going to wow you is the, the mental makeup on the mound, how he, um, how he recovers from adversity. So giving up a hit, there's no, there's no thinking there. It's literally just the next batter. And that's the type of pitcher that I, as a coach, don't want to face. Because my guys, most guys, I would say, most high, nine out of ten high school guys don't have that. Um, and when they're up against it, it's hard to beat. So, And then you, you match his secondary, how he works his curveball, uh, quick pitching, just his pacing and all of that. Anytime he's on the mound, they got a chance. And then apart from that, that team is deep. Um, they got a lot of good bats. Uh, they had bats one to six last year. They lose Lee Jack, the catcher. Um, but there is some some talent being replenished there at Christian. And then you go to eight. We've already talked about them. Uh, Woodhaven, a team that is year in and year out, been competitive now since 2017. They've been doing this. Uh, it's going to continue this year. I do think that this is a bit of a drop-off from the teams they've had in the past, just given they don't have a, a high-end ace pitcher that's uh, like a Colin Schakowsky, Ryan Schapaniak, Drew Schapaniak. Um, I mean, they had them, they've had them every year. This will be the first year that they really don't have one. But they still have Kyle Harris. They still have Ray Perez, two guys who are quality top-of-the-rotation pitchers, especially in their league. They will win a lot of baseball games. They are the favorite to win the Downriver League again. And typically, more times than not, they carry that Downriver League momentum into the playoffs. Um, and they have got a tougher district this year. Um, but I mean, I would I should say Wyandotte has a tougher district this year because we got to face them. But, uh, you know, Woodhaven does have a, a nice group in districts. So, um, But that's just a team that just... 
it's so consistent. And we keep talking about consistency, uh, and that's what they are. Then you move to Lakeland at seven. Lakeland's a team that I was thinking possibly could be a top five team and i don't at seven that's not out of the question whatsoever they're only two spots away a couple wins a couple losses ahead of them and that's where they're at next week anyway but lakeland is a team with uh, coach farquhar uh and, and they are just all over um with that team bats arms they've they played orchard lake close in a 6-1 loss i'm not one to reward teams for losses but i understand what it's like to not lose by a lot to them because i've lost by a lot to them um so so uh yeah i think that's a team that's going to be competitive throughout the year uh and could make a run uh, a deep run uh, in their division and then lastly at number six grand ledge another good season last season returning a lot of production uh, the head coach is going to get, this is, I believe, his second year at the helm. So he gets to get in a groove a little bit there. Uh, and we're going to see what that product is. Uh, the West side always produces um, really good baseball teams. We've seen it on this uh, already with Matawan, with Grand Rapids Christian, Grand Ledge, Rockford. Uh, there's plenty of teams, Stevensville, Lakeshore. There's, there's plenty of teams on here representing uh, the West side. And there might be some more uh, when it's all said and done. But that takes us into... The top five. So rounding up before we move on to the top five, you've got Dakota at 10, Grand Rapids Christian at nine, Woodhaven at eight, Lakeland at seven, and Grand Ledge at six. And that will move us into the top five. Brian, take it away. Um, just a small note for those keeping track at home, uh, Grand Ledge is in Lansing area. But uh, moving on to the top five. There's no way that's true, right? There's no way I'm that wrong. There's no way I'm that the wrong. The Grand Ledge people, the Grand Ledge people were going to let us know. To me, that's the West Side, though. To me, like you're, if you're past Lansing, Lansing, what? Not Lansing itself. Lansing is like the gateway to the. It's like this. It's like the arch in St. Louis. It's like the gateway to the West Side of the state. To me, that's how I've always seen. It. If you're past Lansing, like if you're too. Okay, I mean it is technically west of Lansing, so like okay. But I don't. I don't think they identify as like West Siders, do they? We'll have to ask. We'll have to ask. We'll My have geography to ask. continues to fail. That's all right. At least you got every high school right this year. <laughs> all right, dude. All right. Top five. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Moving on to the top five. Uh, number five are. We'll do state champion picks next year, but you can kind of glean a fair bit from this list uh, next week. Pardon me. Uh, New Boston here on at number five. They're probably going to be our pick in D two. Um, St. Mary's vacating D2 opened some things up. We talked about Stevensville Lakeshore. We're excited about them. We talked about Grand Rapids Christian. Uh, but New Boston Huron has two of those arms at the top um, in Luke Cole and Gavin Muzzy. I don't I actually need to learn how that how their last name is actually pronounced. Like, is it pronounced Muzzy or do they just go by Muzzy because it's so complicated? I'm a, I'm an Eastern European descent guy, dude. Like, I, I'm a Polish dude. My last name is Tikowski. Like, I usually am okay with those names, and I'm not. I'm going to have to learn that. Um, but anyways, yes, those two at the top of the rotation, um, as we know, as Trenton has done in the past, like, you can ride two arms way deep into the playoffs. And... Uh, you know, some, with the super regional and that, they're kind of kind of trying to curtail that sort of thing. But uh, either way, two good arms can take you a long way. They look great, both of them. Uh, we expect New Boston Huron to be the favorite in D two, um, one of a few, anyways. So they're at number five, number four, brother Rice. Um, lose a fair bit of the pitching from last year. Uh, you lose John Locker. You lose Blaze Wilsensky. Um, Fredo Velasquez is back. Looks fantastic both ways. Uh, to the point where, you know, Brandon, we all knew Fredo could pitch, but, like, he committed to Michigan as a center fielder, you know. Now it's like, damn, maybe he's going to do both of U of M. He looks great. Looks fantastic on the mound. He should win most of the time he takes the mound. Uh, Jake Coulter behind him in the rotation. There's a good amount of 2023s on that team that are really talented. Uh, we've talked about Braden Dowd. We've talked about Presley Fortino. We've talked about Alex Cheeseman. Uh, Really good team, loaded 23 class. Would expect them to be very good for most of the year. Um, they're at number four. Number three, and this is where we're going to start getting into trouble, I think. Number three, Grant Blank. Uh, Division one state champions a year ago. Basically, I, you know, I, I think Liggett might be the better team still. When you line up Grant Blank and Liggett. You line up those two, we think that Liggett, I think, edges them out. You know, on paper, hopefully they play. I, don't, I haven't. I, they may play this year. That would be a cool matchup. But either way, um, we think Liggett or we think Grand Blanket number three. Lally's back. 
you know, Fidelino's back. The whole damn the whole damn team's back. They should be really good. Uh, our guy at Perfect Game, Vinny Servino, got to see them play Garber down in Fort Myers when they did their little spring trip. Um, you know, Lally looked great. Chapansky looked great. Both teams looked strong. Expect Grand Blank to be right there at the end. Uh, number three overall there. Number two, already alluded to it, that's Liggett. Um, split with Brother Rice in their opening series in what was an incredible way to start a, se- start a season, it, Liggett versus Rice. Um, Velasquez no-hit no Liggett and Kurt Barr no-hit Rice. So that was a, a great way to split it up. Um, they look fantastic. They got Marys this weekend. I can't imagine anybody's going to be anywhere else on Saturday. Uh, Brandon, you'll be there calling the game with Chad Bush from the prep. I will be there in my official perfect game capacity. At least that's the plan right now. Um, Liggett's loaded. We've already talked about him. We don't have to go into detail. Uh, Barr and Jones at the top of the rotation is fantastic. The infield's absolutely loaded. Oliver Service rakes. Uh, it's deep. Coach Samini's fantastic. The program's rolling. Um, would expect Liggett to be right there uh, towards the end. And obviously, number one, not to bury the lead, but we didn't have to. Orchard Lake St. Mary's at one. Probably, for my money, the number one team in the nation. In the nation. Having seen IMG play, uh, I haven't seen Barb play. I, you know, sure, there's maybe one or two others, but I cannot imagine that there's a better one through nine that exists in high school baseball. Um, Brock Porter's going to give you a chance to win every time he goes out there. The pitching depth is coming along. St. Mary's number one. So, Brandon, since I know you got to rush out the door, you have a game to get to, I will run us through this Super 25 again real quick, and we will sign off. Number one, St. Mary's. Number two, Liggett. Number three, Grand Blank. Number four, Brother Rice. Number five, Huron. Grand Ledge, Lakeland, Woodhaven, Grand Rapids Christian, and Macomb, Dakota round out the top ten. Portage Northern, Gross Point North, Buchanan, Richmond, Stevensville Lakeshore at 15, Edison, Hudsonville, Stevenson, Detroit Western, Cardinal Mooney at number 20. They are the lone D4 school on the top 25. Uh, Blitzfield at number 21, Matawan, Portage Central, Gross Point South, and Monroe round out the top 25 with Beale City, City, Hemlock, Rockford, Bay City, John Glenn, and Heartland and are also considered. We have another 20 or 30 schools here written down in the Google Sheet. We will be keeping track week to week. Obviously, the Cold Weather Bats Super 25 will be week to week. Officially, welcome back high school baseball in the great state of Michigan. For Brandon, I'm Brian. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great week, Michigan.